Look, who are you? I told you, George, I'm your guardian angel. Yeah, yeah, I know. You told me that. What else are you? What are you? You a hypnotist? No, of course not. Well, then why am I seeing all these strange things? Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Well, if I wasn't born, who am I? You're nobody. You have no identity. Oh, what do you mean, no identity? My name's George Bailey. There is no George Bailey. You have no papers, no cards, no driver's license, no 4F card, no insurance policy. They're not there either. What? Zuzu's petals. You've been given a great gift, George. A chance to see what the world would be like without you. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special Christmas bonus edition of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 169. It's a wonderful life. Yes. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Yes, we have seen Star Wars. No, we're not going to talk about it. We could. Yeah. We could, but we won't. We have business to take care of. That's true. A Christmas classic, an important movie, one that honestly is... Not only is it shown every year on Christmas on TV and everyone has some familiarity with it, it's also the Christmas movie that plays during other Christmas movies. Oh, yeah, it's always the one right. that's like on TV yeah, or something. I, I do enjoy this movie. I really never watched it at all growing up, but everyone knows it. The famous scene on the bridge, like somehow, even if you've never seen it, you certainly are familiar with that scene. Well, him running back into... Bedford Falls yeah, back screaming. when everything's back to normal right. is like pretty iconic. Yeah. That's the one that always seems to be on TV <laughs> at the True. convenient moment in the other movie. It's weird. I think it was last year I went to watch this movie and they have like a color version of it on Prime. And I've always <laughs> leaned towards movies that are in color and not so much ones in black and white. But I actually tried to watch the color of version of this movie. Not into it. I don't think it works as well. Yeah, I don't like looks, when they go back and yeah, it looks weird. Colorize the old right. movies. It, it's a part of the the Blu-ray set that I have, but I I wouldn't have any interest in it. I like yeah. the original. Yeah, so that's what I went with the black and white version, the original. Okay, so this is a special Christmas treat. A little bit of housekeeping. I will say that we will have one more episode in 2019 that will post on New Year's Eve. We will take probably a little bit of a break to start out the new year. Not like yeah. a whole hiatus of a couple well, weeks. Just, no. you know, a little extended time. I think people need to get caught up anyway. Yeah. And then we'll get back into it in January. For further information, you can follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Although I don't always tweet out a link to every episode. 
Yeah, you kind of keep us guessing. Sometimes I feel like it and sometimes I don't. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes I just tweet about some random 30 Rock episode that I just watched or something, and that's it. <laughs> Which is it. actually more entertaining that's than the tweet. a link to the episode of the show. Right. I mean, we don't have barely any followers on Twitter. It's kind of sad. It really is just disappointing. <laughs> I know. Some of my old novelty accounts have like 10 times as many followers. <laughs> I don't know how to get more followers for this show. I just really don't know how to do it. Yeah, that's a good point. It just, that know. never happened. We need like a marketing person. But you can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, all that stuff. So let's get into it. It's a Wonderful Life, 1946. Yeah, uh, certainly near and dear to my heart, the locale anyway. Kind of takes place in upstate New York. Buffalo, Rochester mentioned. Town of Elmira, which I grew up very close to. Famous for having two prisons there. So uh, pretty cool to get a mention. And then... Yeah, the bank examiner's from there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big so, shout out. fictional town, though, Bedford Falls. I've actually been to the town that inspired it, Seneca Falls, which is, you know. Well, there's a lot of debate over all that. Okay. There's a lot of different towns that claim that. Gotcha. Well, either but, way, the location of Seneca Falls makes sense as to yeah. where, how they're describing it in this movie. There's a lot of towns like that, though, in that area. That kind of a lot of the David Lynch type, blue velvet type towns. Sure. Yeah. It definitely is the... David Lynch idyllic town without the seedy underbelly. That's true. I yeah. Guess. Although I don't know whatever's going on with Mr. Potter. Sure. It seems like he's involved in some I mean, you don't think he's running girls <laughs> at night. It's a Wonderful Life was produced, directed and along with Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett written by Frank Capra who did all of that stuff. Based on a short story called The Greatest Gift by Philip Van Dorn Stern was never really published. It was only like self-published. And sent to like friends and family. Oh wow! Not People unlike rejected uh, it. your literary career. Sure. And yet somehow they got a hold of it, turned it into this movie. This is our second Jimmy Stewart movie of yeah. the year. Kind of surprising. That Would is not the have one thing called that. Yeah, true. That is the one thing that's like a little bit distracting about going back and watching this is that the old timey talk a little bit. Now see, <laughs> it's not really like that. I think it, so. There's movies that that it's like the whole thing. Oh, I mean, see. I kind of like that, though. Yeah. I would say the dialogue in this is pretty reasonable. It's not, like, the most modern sounding, but I think it's still pretty sharp. Yeah. There's definitely some funny moments in it that are well-written. Sure. Clever material. Maybe not so much as the one we're going to do for our Absolutely. New Year's episode. Absolutely. I was going to bring that up as well. Which is a little snappier, but those are, you know, that's like a whole other genre. Sure. Really. Even though they're only four years apart, it seems like they're from a totally different time period. Anyway... Two different parts of the world, for sure. It's a Wonderful Life was initially kind of a flop. Did not really make any money. I think it cost like a little over $3 million to make. That's all it earned at the box office, yet it needed to make like, I don't know, $6 million or something to really make a profit. It, it didn't hit that. But over time, obviously, it's become this Christmas sure. classic. Even at the time, though, it was well-reviewed, and it was nominated for a lot of Oscars. And since then, it's become part of the AFI Top 100 and all that stuff. And obviously, everyone knows it now. And it's interesting to look back on how movies were when they first came out, how people felt about them, and then how quickly that perception can change sometimes. Yeah. And this movie just feels like something that is very much 
a part of Americana and a part of American film history. Absolutely. Yet was largely ignored in 46. Yeah, hard to imagine that happening as much now. Something underperforming at the box office and... I mean, obviously we have movies that take off the Blu-ray sales and whatnot or have another life on Netflix, but I don't know. Although I guess it's really hard to even picture something becoming as iconic as It's a Wonderful Life now. Or something like Citizen Kane, which also didn't really make any money and didn't even win Best Picture and then was considered the best movie ever made for a long time. So, yeah, it just depends. But, yeah, it is hard to imagine something coming out now and having that same sort of trajectory. I don't know how that would happen. (laughs) It doesn't seem like it could. There's a lot to talk about as far as the making of this movie, the screenplay controversy, people suing different people. Oh. A lot of different people seemingly worked on the script. Only a few were credited. I don't know. None of that stuff really matters to me. You know what's weird about the trajectory of the story and the way it's presented? I feel like it takes so long to get to the point where Clarence, the angel, is actually physically involved. The whole backstory of George Bailey, I just feel like it takes so long to get to where we're now going, where we start to play with time. and Well, it's a two-hour and ten movie, and it's not so like the final 40 minutes of the movie that you get the interaction between George and Clarence and then the alternate Right, the alternate reality. As if he had never existed. It reminds me, of course, of Back to the Future Part 2. I was thinking the same thing. When you go into Potter World, Pottersville, Potter World. That would have been awesome if it was Potter World. Is Pottersville cooler, better than Bedford Falls? Yeah, it seems more fun. Times change, and so in 1946, I think Pottersville was supposed to seem very scandalous and dangerous and seedy, yet by today's standards, it just seems more fun. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of feels like it would have run the town down, though. Like an Atlantic City Yeah, how does a small town, like, survive like that with so much sort of uh, sketchy activity going on? Yeah. My favorite take on It's a Wonderful Life was a two-part Christmas special they did on Married with Children called It's It's a Bundyful Life, where Al electrocutes himself accidentally and then he's all upset about different things going off Christmas presents and all this stuff and he wishes to have not lived and then his guardian angel played by Sam Kinison shows up (laughs) and shows him what everything would be like if Al Bundy didn't exist and everyone including the members of his own family are living a much better life <laughs> and everyone's so much happier yeah and that makes him not want to die that one because of, he wants right. to make them go through hell which in version life. of it is more relatable for you <laughs> that's this one yeah and it ends in such an insane way because back in the late 80s early 90s Fox was so scandalous compared to the other networks and Sam Kinison is like talking about his ex-wife or something and he's like i'm gonna go see her now and then he's like yelling off camera like you pig you slut i mean it's like insane it's just like a crazy show yeah that's nuts but you can do plenty of takes and parodies on this movie because the idea of it is so well known that you don't even need to have seen it's a wonderful life to kind of get the reference yeah i mean yeah it's a little bit of a take on a christmas carol and the different scrooge stories yeah, I mean, I don't know. The message is good. If I'm George Bailey, I'm still not really okay with everything. I think I'd still be kind of holding the grudge against my brother, Harry. <laughs> I just can't. What, for not taking over the business? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, It's there's a lot to think about and contemplate. The story is actually kind of complex if you break it all down, and it really gets into 
the nature of anger and regret and like a seething rage underneath the surface which sort of comes out in George when he's first yeah. finding out about the missing money well, and he kind of just oh, loses yeah. it <laughs> completely and it's also it feels like a little bit unrealized potential kind of a story about that and being stuck in this town just because you're trying to do the right thing yeah it's definitely a story about sacrifice but I think the overall message is that there's still value in a quiet unspectacular life yeah I mean I have yet to see any evidence of that but I understand (laughs) that's the message of the movie I think you can relate it to Capra's own experience in World War II he was too old to really serve in the army I think he ended up making like army films and army propaganda films or something. Okay, I don't know. that sounds better. But he's Italian. He's an Italian-American and wanted to prove his loyalty to his new country, America, because obviously, if you know history, Italy was on the other side oh, in yes. World War right. II. And that was a thing that I think a lot of people experienced, but he was a little too old to actually serve and fight in World War II. At the end of that experience, coming back to Hollywood to make movies, I think it's kind of evident this search for self-worth and to see the value in doing different things and i don't think it's any coincidence that george's brother harry is this war hero that actually went off to war and kind of contrasting that with what happens with george who can't go because of his ear yeah although uh, to me and i know this is like a bummer to george but it's just like that's like the best thing that ever happened to him that ear, like, keeping him from having to go to the war? It's like, I, I mean, have you well, seen... Well, I think people had a different way of thinking about things in 1946. Uh, yeah, I guess so. They haven't, because, you know, Saving Private Ryan hadn't come out yet. It's like, I mean, if you see Saving Private Ryan, you tell me you want to run off to World War II? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, there was... People Not a lot were, of glory there. People were braver and yeah. <laughs> wanted to fight for their country more. There's, patriotism was more of a given oh, with wow. people. Yeah. For sure. What a world. So the movie opens with prayers for George Bailey across the entire town of Bedford Falls. You overhear tons of different voices, including his own wife and kids and all of this stuff. Yeah. And so this gets the attention, I guess, of God and and the angels. A lot of wisecrackers up there. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Would the movie function better without the immediate reveal of where it's going to head? In other words, if you met Clarence that late into the movie but you didn't know who he was as the audience and the reveal like if the audience was kind of in the same position as george where you're like well is this guy telling the truth like what who is this guy what's he doing yeah do you think it would be better i don't know i think it works fine the way it is i I think it takes so long to for clarence to actually show up it's kind of an afterthought by the time you do get there well i mean they do cut in with a little bit of narration narration from time to time yeah i guess because People hadn't seen stories necessarily as crazy and off the wall yet in different kind of experimental type situations and different types of narratives. It might be a bit much to just drop that in that far into a movie and try to get the idea of like, okay, so George is going to see this alternate reality now. And we didn't even know there was going to be any supernatural element to this really. Right. And then all of a sudden that's happening. So yeah, I mean, I guess you kind of have to like build into that set a path for people to get to that moment yeah. a little easier. I guess it would be like more of a wild twist if Clarence just showed up out of nowhere. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, like, if they were doing the movie now, like, if this was never a thing that had existed, I don't know if they would have, like, revealed necessarily 
the whole thing. Although yeah. it's harder to like really justify starting it in 1919 then and working your way up. Then you're like, well, why are we seeing all of this? Like, it's a lot of stuff. You're not sure why. So I guess it makes sense if it's like Clarence learning about George and seeing all these True. different things yeah. that have built up to the right moment. Clarence is a second class angel that doesn't have his wings yet, but he's going to be the one sent down to Earth to try to help George. And in preparation for this, Clarence sees flashbacks of George's life starting in 1919 with a 12 year old George. Saving his yeah, younger I mean, brother, Harry, from drowning. How much does Clarence really need to know? Does that alter what his actions are going to be? It gives a better sense of the situation and what's gone on to lead George to, to, to this moment. Yeah. And it starts with the ear because the ear affects right. going off to war and all these different things, things were that building could have up. happened. Things were building up for about 25 years. Basically, George's entire life is a series of situations where he's desperate to get out of Bedford Falls, and then for one reason or another, it doesn't happen. Yeah. It just happens over and over in different ways. And he he could have just run away, but he makes the n more noble decision to stay and help or do the right thing. And then when the whole incident happens, that leads to the big blow-up and him wanting to throw himself off the bridge that's really just like clarence shows up is just like it's the brooklyn bridge the you throw final straw off. it's like how much shit has he gone through only to now have this fucking bullshit dropped on him oh, and missing eight it's like you gotta be fucking kidding me yeah I, and <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it as it goes along uncle billy just a wild card family member <laughs> I mean, at any given time, I'm just like, how much of the business's money does he have on the Bills game that weekend? <laughs> George loses his hearing in one ear in the process of saving his younger brother, Harry, from drowning. He also has this after-school job at Old Man Gower's drugstore. Yeah. And George prevents the old teary-eyed drunk from That's accidentally... Sh just shocking, really. ...poisoning a prescription. <laughs> yeah. And then kind of just... Uh, well, what is it, Old Man Gower or Grower? What is Gower. it? Gower. And then he just starts kind of like smacking him upside the head, causing <laughs> yeah. his ear to bleed. The story is, I guess, that Gower's son is killed in World War One. Okay. I guess. Seems is that like the telegram? To... Yeah, must be. And he's upset, and he makes this mistake where he accidentally poisons a prescription. <laughs> George notices Quite a it. mistake, yeah. Doesn't deliver the prescription seems sort of unethical that george doesn't like report this and i mean this this does not seem like a man who should be uh putting together yeah. medication for people at, at any point beyond this day yeah it's interesting to see how what 70 years ago this was considered like a good thing to do to yeah, like protect right. the secret <laughs> but now it'd be like well you're going to prison for not reporting this guy <laughs> <laughs> we also briefly see Henry Potter, played by Lionel Barrymore, Drew's yeah. great uncle, I believe. Just a villain of an old man. Yeah, voted one of the best villains of all time, according to the AFI list. The one thing that I think is strange is how, in 1919, Gower and Potter already seem old. I know. That, and then in, like, they live 30 right, years later, yeah. they also seem old. Like Yet I don't know. somehow, like, George's dad doesn't. Yeah, George's dad seems younger and right. dies way before yeah, yeah. these guys. <laughs> in the drugstore, Violet and Mary, two young girls, are kind of hanging around. They both seem to like George. Violet, though, portrayed as like a floozy, which I feel is kind of weird. And unfair to Violet. Yeah, they always treat Violet kind of bad for things that 
aren't even remotely scandalous <laughs> by any standard. It seems crazy. I mean, she's this little girl, and the other one's just like, you like all the boys, and then it's like, oh, we're supposed to know. Oh, uh, yeah, we know where she's this is trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know once this becomes Potter Town or whatever. I do think that George is always pretty cool to Violet, even when oh, Violet yeah. like freaks out on him at one point right. later in the movie. I think it's weird also that young George here, who's like 12 years old, is telling marry that he's going to one day have a harem yeah. which would be like multiple wives okay i guess or wow, a, for a collection of women or something it's kind of a weird thing to say yeah we cut to 1928 george has world traveling plans he wants to get out of this small town see the world much like his character in rear window oh yeah this That's itch right. to explore all of these far and distant exotic lands yeah i get it i can certainly relate to a, a george character I uh, had aspirations of doing many fun things, but I never here I wanted am. to go anywhere. I know you're good. <laughs> What's you're the more seat? like that guy that is, you know, when him and Mary have that like late night after the dance, and there's like that, there's some old guy that makes some comment about oh, the them, guy about, on the porch. Yeah, yeah, something about like youth being wasted <laughs> on the wrong people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's you. I don't know. I mean, I think that guy would be saying that youthful people should be out there doing stuff. That's not me. Okay. Be like, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Go to bed. What are you doing? It's late. Jimmy Stewart now is in the movie as George, and now Violet has become Gloria Graham, and she's like the local smoke show walking around in that dress that everyone's like falling all over themselves (laughs) to get a look at. And she's like, this is what I wear when I don't care what I'm wearing or whatever. You know, some little line that she has yeah jimmy stewart doesn't seem to vary much in age through no the, rest of the movie he's basically 40 from the time that he's supposed to be 20 till the time that he's supposed to be 40 <laughs> right. i mean yeah not a lot changes gloria graham just kind of a one of those dames from the oh yeah the era who was in a lot of noir movies in a lonely place the big heat i'm definitely a fan yeah i like her i don't necessarily appreciate how they treat the violet character in the movie but like i said george is pretty decent to everybody so it, she's there at the end she oh, yeah. seems happy right. everyone seems happy at the end of the movie so it's not really anything to get too upset about george's burden is basically how everything just plays out the weight of the world is on his shoulders at all time because he seems like the smart responsible one he wants to travel the world then go to college he wants to get out of this town he's hanging around bedford falls for harry's graduation party he's reintroduced to mary hatch oh yeah who's now played by donna reed i love that dude that she's just hanging out with at the dance the one that she blows off whenever george comes over <laughs> yeah that's, <laughs> that's like, maybe the most relatable guy yeah that's like my movie he's <laughs> like, like if it was about that guy just the way that she's so like dismissive and then like George is like, how about you stop annoying people? <laughs> that guy was like in the middle of something. He's like, well, actually, the Italian version of the titty fucking vampire women oh, is no. three minutes longer. It has <laughs> alternate credits. <laughs> He's just like, go away. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone on Bedford Falls like raises money for you to like leave town. <laughs> the town signing a petition. Yeah. Get out. So then they do this thing where they're having a dance on a floor in a gymnasium, but there's a pool underneath right. the floor. And then this guy who Mary blows off is kind of complicit in this scheme to open up the floor so that they can all fall into this pool. And then <laughs> yeah. they start jumping in. 
it turns into like the last picture show and that's cool <laughs> well i was thinking these people have a lot of confidence that this thing that mysteriously opened is not going to somehow mysteriously close oh, yeah, right. while they're all jumping in <laughs> i'm like i'm imagining Literally like bedford falls population drops in <laughs> half just by the events of this night they either are decapitated or just drown <laughs> underneath the floor yeah. it turns into a real tragedy <laughs> it, it really is a wonderful life <laughs> George walks Mary home. They're kind of flirting, having a great time. Yeah. They're stopping by this dilapidated house that Mary seems to really like that will factor into the movie later. They're, I guess, supposed to be young kids falling in love. They both seem like full-grown adults, though. So it's kind of hard <laughs> yeah. to really right. accept that. that. I mean, full glow from them. The thing that you have to say, though, about these old movies is they always present it in a way, though, where you're never, like, that caught up on it. It's just kind of like this ambiguous adult era of, like, well, (laughs) they could be 20 or 40. It doesn't really matter. Sure. Who cares? Mary, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and a year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet, and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Can't you come out tonight? Buffalo gals, can't you come out tonight? Dance by the light of the moon. What'd you wish when you threw that rock? Oh, no. Come on, tell me. If I told you, it might not come true. What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, You want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I'll take it. Then what? Well, then you could swallow it, and it'd all dissolve, see? And the moonbeams would shoot out of your fingers and your toes and the ends of your hair. Am I talking too much? Yes! Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? How's that? Why don't you kiss her instead of talking at her death? Want me to kiss her, huh? Oh, youth is wasted on the wrong people. On this walk home, this car pulls up. There's some bad news about George's dad. He's had a stroke. And basically, this sets up the next segment of his life because his dad is going to die. And George's plans of getting out are put on hold as he's going to take over the family business, which is... I guess I feel like I should understand what this business is. Bailey Brothers have, like, Building and Loan. Grasp on it. <laughs> yeah. How it would be successful in this town. It seems like a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. <laughs> but that's only because right. we don't really know what it is, I guess. <laughs> it's basically just a place to get a loan. Yeah. I, they're loan sharks. They're like breaking people's <laughs> legs. They're actually the real villains. Yeah. And Potter's like the decent, normal banker. Right. <laughs> But, okay, so, uh, yeah, they basically are, they serve almost like a bank, but it's more like a credit union or something. Yeah, everyone's a member, I guess. They're they, seen like, as the, against the heroes because... Each other's properties. 
they aren't as predatory as right. Potter with like the loans. They're more about trying to get people out into like real houses that are affordable that they can live. It's not about like turning the biggest profit or anything. Yeah. That's really all you need to know. There we go. I'm the details yeah. of it aren't super important. Potter always is out to dissolve this company. He's this tireless, ageless villain that seems the same age in 1919 <laughs> that he does in 1946. Yeah. He's like the villain from Roadhouse. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned that because I have that in here. He is like Brad Wesley yeah. of this town. <laughs> right. He's the Brad Wesley of Bedford Falls for sure because he basically does own and control everything except for this Bailey Brothers building and loan, yeah. which is why he is obsessed with either trying to take it over or run it into the ground. So They needed exist. to bring in a cooler. Yeah, Swayze just shows up. <laughs> He's in color. Yeah. <laughs> glistening in with just oil soaked coming Sam in. Elliot shows up with like his pubes hanging out <laughs> literally rips Potter's throat out everyone <laughs> is just like what the fuck what is that Gettys a discontented lazy rabble instead of a thrifty working class and all because a few starry eyed dreamers like Peter Bailey stir them up and fill their head with a lot of impossible ideas. Now, I say... Just a minute, just, just a minute. Now, hold on, Mr. Potter. Just a minute. Now, you're right when you say my father was no businessman. I know that. Why he ever started this cheap penny ante building alone, I'll never know. But neither you nor anybody else can say anything against his character because his whole life... Was why in the 25 years since he and Uncle Billy started this thing, he never once thought of himself. Isn't that right, Uncle Billy? He didn't save enough money to send Harry to school, let alone me. But he did help a few people get out of your slums, Mr. Potter. And what's wrong with that? Probably, here, you're all businessmen here. Don't it make them better citizens? Doesn't it make them better customers? You, you said that they, what'd you say just a minute ago? They, they had to wait and save their money before they even thought of a decent home? Wait, wait for what? until their children grow up and leave them, until they're so old and broke them down that they... Do you know how long it takes a working man to save $5,000? Just remember this, Mr. Potter, that this rabble you're talking about, they do most of the working and paying and living and dying in this community. Well, is it too much to have them work and pay and live and die in a couple of decent rooms and a bath? Anyway, my father didn't think so. People were human beings to him, but to you, a warped, frustrated old man, they're cattle. Well, in my book, he died a much richer man than you'll ever be. I'm not interested in your book. I'm talking about the building and loan. I know very well what you're talking about. You're talking about something you can't get your fingers on, and it's galling you. That's what you're talking about, I know. Well, I, I, I've said too much. I, you're, the, you're the board here. You do what you want with this thing. There's just one thing more, though. This town needs this measly one-horse institution, if only to have some place where people can come without crawling to Potter. Come on, the board votes to keep the building and loan open on the condition that George stays to run it, along with his lovable That's but like, dopey wow, thanks, guys. Uncle Billy. Yeah. George already having missed out on his chance. If you were on that board, world, I'd be like, we got to get Billy out of here. Well, George has already missed out on his chance to see the world, and he was set to leave for college despite looking 40. <laughs> Ultimately, George gives his college tuition to Harry on the condition yeah. that Harry takes over the building and loan when he graduates. Okay, pretty good deal. So he's like, all right, well, I can wait four more years. I'll try to get the things settled here. I'll yeah. let you go off to college first. Then you'll come back. Then I'll go to college. 1932 rolls around. Harry comes back from college, and now he's married to some yeah. chick. 
Way to hold up your end of the deal, Harry. And this chick has brought along a job opportunity that George doesn't allow Harry to turn down. Right. It was too good to refuse. Supposedly. It didn't really sound that good, but okay. Yeah. To be fair. Vito Corleone. You're already so ready to bury Harry. I mean, to be fair, he does say. No, I know. He's, he's like, that bitch spoke out of turn. <laughs> George is like, Jesus. <laughs> I feel like Harry has, like, a perfection to him that's just, like, annoying. Everything works out for him. I th- Yeah, I mean, I think intentionally Yeah. to really paint a it's contrast Intentional by Harry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just to be a dick. No, I just mean to really illustrate the different paths. Right. The different ways that they've gone and how things have turned out so different for the two of them. And, of course, I think you're supposed to see the value in George's life, which is the point of the movie, but you're also supposed to understand the frustration because that's what this movie is built upon. Yeah. Is the frustration of things not working out the way I that could you have been want a contender. Yeah. He had a whole plan and a goal and a dream for his life and that didn't happen. But the question that the movie asks is, well, if your dream doesn't happen, does that mean all is lost? I would say yes. <laughs> Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> the movie is definitely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's right. a lie. It's looking at things with rose-colored glasses, I just don't believe it. it. Doesn't apply in 2019. Yeah. Now, because of crippling student loan debt, the terrible job opportunities for college graduates, now it's like it's a wonderful life is like living in your parents' basement and then like <laughs> murdering your family, a la the beginning of Midsummer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> It's ending in some horrible murder-suicide or something. Or you knock up some girl. Now you have a kid that you can't afford. (laughs) You're coming up with insurance scam schemes. Yeah. That's the real It's a Wonderful Life. Yikes. (laughs) Robbing convenience stores. (laughs) It's like Ryan Gosling's story in A Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah, exactly. And so because of this job opportunity, George once again misses the chance to leave Bedford Falls Mary Hatch comes back to town, and she's still real into Georgie Boy. Yeah, for some reason. The scene... I'm not buying it, but Mary, I, I think she's kind of a fox, you know? Yeah, she's a classy lady. <laughs> Unlike that trash Violet <laughs> flashing her ankles all Listen, over town. I-, I like Violet, too. No, yeah, I do, too. Mary's just... She's definitely presented to be the... She's the catch. The wholesome. Oh, yeah. The one that you could see raising your children. That's which, right. I mean, is completely unfair to Violet, but that's just the way movies were. And life. You, s- <laughs> you kind of know what I mean, though. The scene where Mary and George finally break down and just go for it is actually pretty funny. Just the whole build-up of, like, George not wanting to go over to her house, and then he does, and then she's so excited that she's playing a s- certain record that they had sung together on their walk home oh, yeah. four years earlier. Yeah, she's not a got great like song, a by the way. Painting and the whole thing, Buffalo Gals yeah. or whatever. <laughs> that song stinks. <laughs> and then things go awry because that Sam guy that she was dating calls in the middle of it, and then Mary's mother is like, <laughs> you know, that Sam bitching at her. Yeah. She obviously wants her daughter to get involved with Sam because he's going to be like rich, right? Mary's mother's like, who's down there with you? And she's like, it's George Bailey, mother. And she's like, well, what does he want? Yeah, what is that loser doing here? Get him out And now. Mary's like, he, he's making violent love to me. That was shocking. Well, <laughs> yeah. I really was like, wow, I would was not expecting that. <laughs> the word to be- violent yeah. being involved. <laughs> right. Crazy. But they admit it finally to themselves and each other, and they just go for it, and they start kissing 
when she's still on the phone with Sam, I believe, who's supposed to be like her boyfriend. Oh, wow. Sam just a cuck. But it's funny, though, because there are certain things in George's life that just seem to go well. I do Despite feel like everything you... going wrong. In the other words, like Violet's happy at the end of the movie. Sam and his new lady are That's happy and, lo- and like George, even. At yeah, the end of well, the movie. Sam's like giving his money to George. He's not seeing the positive moments where people still like him yeah. because he's a good person. He's only seeing the things that aren't working out. I feel like it helps that he's tall. Like things just work out for <laughs> tall people. So Mary and George get married. They are going to go on their honeymoon. They have a big plan to go to all these different places and take weeks to do all this stuff. Wow, yeah. And on their way out- I would out, not trust uh, the business to be run by Uncle Billy in my absence. Well, there's a couple other employees That's true. that maybe are really yeah. running the show. On their way out of town, there's a run on the bank. I guess this is around the time of the Great Depression in that era, and things sure. are just a little unstable, and so some panic sets in, and everybody tries to get their money out, and then, of course- that doesn't really work when that right. kind of stuff happens, and people yeah, show up. It turns out they don't have any money. And people show up to the building and loan, and they want to withdraw their money, and they don't want to follow the agreements they signed, which was sixty days to process the request, because it's not really like a bank. But Potter is trying to undercut them by offering fifty cents on the dollar for all of their shares, oh, yeah. which would basically be Potter buying up all of the. The equity, I guess, or the stock of the company. I'm not really. Right, I don't yeah. really know how any of this shit works <laughs> because it's just. It basically does seem like borrowing from one person to pay another is yeah, basically sure. their whole business plan, <laughs> which seems not really right, right. But okay, but he, you know, he has to make this big passionate speech, and Mary pulls out the two thousand dollars for their honeymoon savings, which equates to about thirty nine thousand dollars in today's money. Wow, I don't know why they were going to spend yeah. this much on their honeymoon. But whatever, this money keeps... Well, this is his chance to get out of town a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they were going to be gone for a while. Yeah. This is supposed to keep the building and loan solvent and out of Potter's control until the panic subsides, which turns out to be successful. They make it to 6 p.m. without shutting their doors. And this is where I did first compare Potter to Brad Wesley from Roadhouse. He just is this looming figure over the town of Bedford Falls. He somehow has a helicopter... Even though they don't exist yet. <laughs> he is uh, evil on, Biff in Back to the Future uh, yes, 2, absolutely. or a Donald Trump-type character. <laughs> As time goes by, George creates Bailey Park, which is a place to build new homes for people to get out from under Potter's thumb. They are all living in his slum apartments. Oh, yeah. Predatory relationships, predatory landlord. And Bailey is offering a helping hand to the people of Bedford Falls and giving them affordable housing, giving them reasonable loans, working within their means to make things happen for them because he's not concerned with gouging them for as much profit as possible. (laughs) So things are almost breaking even more or less. He's not becoming a rich man off of the backs of the people in town. he's, He's keeping the town going. Potter sees this as a threat. He understands that by using this goodwill, George is kind of accumulating power without really doing it on purpose. And it's a pow- it's the, not like a power in the sense that he can like do the same kind of stuff that Potter could do, but power in the sense that the people of the town would rally behind him. They're like him. galvanized by him. Yeah, because he's doing the right thing. He's presenting this alternative 
to what Potter offers, and it's taking money out of Potter's pocket. <laughs> yeah, basically. Which, what Potter offers, which just seems like a horrible life. Yeah, and so Potter makes him an offer: twenty thousand a year, which is several hundred thousand by today's yeah, money. Yeah, I gotta tell you, it doesn't seem like a bad deal, considering what I was making when I got out of college. When yeah. you <laughs> build an inflation, well, considering this what like... he tells Potter, he makes now. Oh, right. Yeah, it's like twenty times as much or yes. something. Potter is definitely tempted. I mean, sorry, Bailey is. George, he asks Potter if he can go talk to his wife. He needs time to think about it. But eventually comes to his senses and turns him down flat. Yep. Just doing the right thing. We love it. <laughs> it's that burden of always doing the right thing. I know. It's it horrible. fucking sucks. It does. <laughs> because you just sit there struggling to get by and then you watch Potter, who never does the right thing. Yeah living the high life basically being he's like do you know guy. how many blu-rays i could buy on this salary <laughs> yeah somehow in 1946 i'd still have a blu-ray collection going <laughs> world war ii breaks out a lot of the people from the town serve in the military including george's brother harry who becomes a war hero for shooting down a bunch of Again, enemy planes yeah i would just be like green with jealous rage over the life that harry's been living Although earlier you were saying that, like, why would you ever want to be in World War II? Absolutely would not want to be in World War II, but would like to be a war hero. It's almost a shame Harry got married, because, <laughs> I, I mean, could... coming back, yeah. being, like, in the paper as this big hero. Oh, he, yeah, he would how be much ass up. Was he... Yeah. <laughs> there wouldn't be a chick in Bedford Falls. Who... Or the world. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> so he's making his return shortly. Things are sort of building up for this. And... When we did the Inside Lewin Davis episode, and oh, yeah. it led me to talk about Inherent Vice, and I talked about Kim Morgan, wow, yeah. who goes by at Sunset Gunshot, and wrote different things about different movies. I'm always excited to see what movies she has written about at different points. And she wrote this thing about It's a Wonderful Life for the newbev.com. It's really about the tragedy of Uncle Billy and just yeah, watching this really. movie from the lens of knowing what's about to happen and the dread. <laughs> it is sad. This insane panic dread that a viewer can have once you've seen the movie and you know what's about to happen. Even though you know in the end it all, it all works, works out. out. It's just this mortifying moment and the sadness wrapped up in it whenever and just, just through little details of what uncle billy says he's like how I, cocky uncle billy is when he's well, he's bragging about around. his nephew being a war hero yeah. and he's ne bragging about the family name of the baileys but even when things go to shit and george is confronting him about the missing money i know and it's just like it's like yelling at a toddler and he's like i've looked everywhere even in rooms i haven't opened since laura died or whatever his oh, wife's no. name is and yeah. you're just like there's this all of this sadness he's living in this house by himself with these animals which is just a weird little detail of the movie that like right. uncle billy has like this bird that's in the building alone all of a sudden you're feeling office, like and then is there's a squirrel crawling on him uncle billy the relatable character in this movie actually <laughs> after all so I would recommend seeking out Kim Morgan's piece on Uncle Billy and then the the underlying rage of the characters and the unhappiness that comes out in this moment and how it's captured in kind of this exquisite way where it's still a very beautiful ending to the film where it yeah. doesn't change your feelings about George, but it also lets you in on the reality of being this guy who's right. had to make all of these sacrifices and feel all of this frustration only to have the world 
spread its cheeks and shit all over your face <laughs> with this yeah. fucking money you do. being missing. I and know. him eventually, I mean, yeah, it takes the supernatural angel coming in right. and changing. But at that point, he's ready to go to jail for Uncle Billy, even Which though it's Uncle nuts. Billy's I know, fault. Yeah. I would 100% let Billy Fry for this. I mean, it's probably better for everyone if he's off the streets. Now, I mean, how hard a time is he? Do- I'm sure he would go over to Elmira Prison. Listen, it's gotten rough there over the years, but I'm thinking 1946, it ain't that bad. <laughs> it's like Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. On Christmas Eve, 1945, as the town prepares a hero's welcome for Harry, Uncle Billy goes to the bank to deposit $8,000. Yeah. Which is roughly now, 110k in today's money. Wow. You would that's an easy stick-up job. You would think that there are a couple other employees that it's just like behind closed doors George is just like, "Okay, Billy never touches cash." You okay? would think. Right? Like you guys But are maybe the this is the first time something like this has happened. He's a yeah. little bit spacey and stuff, but he's never messed up like this, right. obviously. This is <laughs> something completely Yeah, but you're playing with fire by letting him even dabble in this. So this world. money is the building and loans cash. He's at the bank, and then Potter enters the bank. When Potter enters, Billy taunts him by grabbing the newspaper out of Potter's lap because at this point Potter's oh, in a wheelchair. No. Yeah. And reading the headline about It's like Mr. Lebowski. About Harry aloud. Yeah, he does kind of seem like that character. Billy returns the newspaper to... (laughs) Mr. Potter's in seclusion in the West Wing. Potter, but unintentionally wraps the envelope with the cash in the newspaper. When he goes to the teller's window and the teller asks him for the money for the deposit, Billy discovers that he has misplaced the cash. Oh, no. Potter later discovers the envelope and seeing an opportunity to finally ruin the Baileys... And squash the building and loan. Right. He says nothing. Now, I did find it strange that Billy never makes the connection. Yeah. He never considers that interaction with Potter as the possible moment he lost the money. Because he He does retrace his steps. He does look everywhere. Yeah. He did take the money out when he first got to the bank and look at it. Remember, he takes it and and looks at the cash. So you know he, on some level, he has to remember that he had the money in the bank. He was just so caught up in the moment. Like, any chance to just brag to an old man in a wheelchair. That's just like... (laughs) Don't act like Potter's some victim. (laughs) Get out of here. Conveniently, at this time, a bank examiner is arriving to review the building and loans Yeah, I I did find that timing strange. Now, maybe... Christmas Eve? Yeah. Yeah. I don't really think that plays especially in a yeah, more yeah. wholesome time where right. christmas was much more sacred in 1946 i can't imagine this happening at all oh i know but of course it all has to make for a and i feel like if, you're, if you here. have a a role like that you more or less are working on your time so i don't see a lot of these guys working christmas eve no but the bank examiner's there and George realizes that scandal and criminal charges will follow oh no because of this missing money But you ain't taking me down, Uncle Billy. After retracing Billy's steps without success, George just starts berating him. And did you put the envelope in your pocket? Yeah. All right. Maybe, maybe, maybe. 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 I don't want any. Maybe. We've got to find that money. I'm no good to you. Uncle Billy, look. Do you realize what's going to happen if we don't find it? Listen to me. Do you have any secret hiding place here in the house? Someplace you would have, someplace you hide the money. I've come over the whole house, even in rooms that have been locked since I lost Laura. Listen, listen to me. Think, think. I can't think, think. anymore, George. I can't think anymore. It hurts. Where's that money, you silly, stupid old fool? Where's that money? You realize what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. That's what it means. One of us is going to jail. Well, it's not going to be me. 
it's kind of difficult to even it, deal with. Really, yeah. Then he Hard goes home, and he takes out his frustration on his family, oh, because boy. by this yeah. point, him and Mary <sighs> have had four kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't have a family, although if I did have one, I could see myself having some George-like moments here. <laughs> Yeah, he's just like yelling at all of the kids for different things, yeah. snapping at everyone. It's like Jack Nicholson driving up to the Overlook Hotel, you know? <laughs> <laughs> There's a real ugliness underneath the surface, this rage and frustration that's built up. And the shadow of unrealized dreams and this faded youth kind of falls over George in this moment where he realizes that he's sacrificed everything only to be fucked over <laughs> in the worst way possible. It all led to this. George begs potter for the eight thousand, which you know has to be tough sad he offers his life insurance policy with only five hundred dollars in equity as collateral yeah but it's just 15k policy laughs in his face and potter says to him based off of this you're worth more dead than alive right so george gets drunk and goes to a bridge contemplating suicide by the way it's probably true for a lot of people (laughs) what being worth more dead than alive (laughs) if you have any solid like I think most people, it's a solid zero. Yeah, okay. <laughs> both both ways. <laughs> yeah. There's so much snow on Christmas Eve. I know, it is. It makes me kind of sad because when I was younger, it used to snow around here a lot more sure, earlier yeah. in the year. Right. And now, well, or later in, in the year, I guess. The same area of this movie, and it, it certainly snowed a lot. But I think, yeah, it's just been sort of climate maybe change. climate change is a real thing, <laughs> it's, it seems like. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really start snowing like significant amounts now until after January well, or it feels after like there's Christmas for sure. A lot of Christmases where it's kind of like in the 40s still, but yeah. it never seems like this anymore where it's snowing and that white fluffy snow, but it's like not that cold. It seems like it goes from like 40s to like it's just like negative five and everything's just like the ice harvest and you're just like hating life. Yeah, you never get that beautiful, right, idyllic christmas snow like in it's yeah. a wonderful life the kind that makes sure. you want to contemplate suicide <laughs> i will say looking off this bridge feels like there's a pretty good chance you're not going to die no because two people do jump off of it and they don't <laughs> die so I know, right it would be kind of traumatic i mean you're basically drowning yourself which seems like a horrible way to go yeah so we finally now caught up to the beginning of the film we now meet the angel clarence in the flesh when he jumps into the river below before George even can really understand what's happening, causing George to then jump in after him to rescue him rather than kill himself, which, as you pointed out, not really sure how he would have killed himself <laughs> yeah. because he just jumped into the river anyway and he didn't die. <laughs> right. So I'm not really sure and what, what they're Clarence saying here. Do? Like, it's not like Clarence prevented anything. Well, he forced him to think about it, someone else again because yeah. he knew that he would. Once they are both drying off in some guy's office i don't really know who this guy is he's like the bridge man (laughs) yeah it doesn't seem like this bridge would require a worker yeah i don't know what's happening maybe it's one of those like bridges that opens up for ships to go through okay i don't know know. it looks pretty small (laughs) although that guy's not paying any attention to the river so i don't i don't don't really know the bridge man he's the bridge man and he has an office where clarence and george are getting warm yeah clarence reveals himself to george but george doesn't believe him which i guess shouldn't be shocking yeah, I mean, if somebody was just like, I'm your guardian angel. And, they and were I just jumped serious. off a bridge in front of you. I'd <laughs> be like, I don't think so, pal. Clarence does kind of seem like a guy that would hang out at Nick's or whatever, or Martini's, yeah. whatever the bar is. Well, I, yeah, in reality, I think it's Martini's. And then in the alternate, I think it's Nick's, yeah. right? Right. Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, right? Eh? Oh, I don't know. I guess you're right. 
I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, that'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been born. Eventually, after some discussion, George wishes he had never been born in the first place and says that everyone would be better off. And Clarence decides that this is his ticket into George's salvation. Grant him this wish by showing him an alternate timeline where he never existed. This will, of course, make George see the way, (laughs) see the light. So when they leave the bridge man's office (laughs) and go back to town, Bedford Falls has become Pottersville. Yeah. Which is supposed to be dark and corrupt and wild and lawless. There's a lot of Potter got his hands on that clubs. sports almanac. Yeah, it is exactly like Biff World or whatever <laughs> yeah. the fuck. A lot I guess of, it's just uh, so obvious because you, you brought it up uh, Like as I was watching it. That was the first thing I thought of. What is going on in these places? I'm not sure what they're implying because this is 1946. I can't imagine that they're implying that these are all like strip clubs. Well, that's, this is the thing that seems weird about a small town having all of this. They're basically like, it's like Times Square in the 80s, you know? <laughs> There's like peep shows. <laughs> Yeah, That's this, what this movie doing. In, in 1946 takes like a real wild turn. Right. It's like yeah. some booth you can go in. It's like hot snatch or something. <laughs> it's just like Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> a couple of junkies like sharing needles and their oh, arms boy. are like rotting off. Yeah, it's just like the end of it's like Requiem, Requiem for, for a Dream. dream. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer Connelly. Oh no, Not that's Violet and the other chick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. George not marrying Mary has made her be a part of like this two girl show with Violet where they're going ass to ass. Yeah, with that dildo. guy's just laughing. <laughs> Made Mary. Gower, we find out, never was saved by anyone and just poisoned somebody and just got out of prison. Right. <laughs> yeah, that is a real dark turn. Somehow lived through prison. The building and loan has long since closed down, and we're going to find out later from. George's mother, who doesn't recognize him, that Uncle Billy was institutionalized years ago when the business went out. Which you can definitely see that. The house that he and Mary moved into and fixed up is now boarded up and was never fixed. Mary herself was never married. Which, that is the most shocking thing (laughs) to me in this alternate reality. That seems insane. Right. Just because she didn't end up ever meeting George, that she somehow couldn't marry anyone. I know. She's vivacious. She's full of life. I know. You knew she had people that were interested. I do like that he's just, like, chasing her down the street, and she's, like, afraid of him. And then he's like, that's my wife. Right, yeah. (laughs) Me. (laughs) (laughs) Me when I don't take my pills. Oh, yeah. Harry drowned back when they were kids because George wasn't there to save him. Yeah, that is dark. And the people that Harry (laughs) saved um, in the war are also dead, too. Yeah, which, I mean, I feel like we could have figured that part out. (laughs) Without them saying. Yeah. I do like that the cab driver is Ernie and the cop is Is Bert. Bert. Yeah. And people long thought that the Sesame Street characters were named after these two, but... It turns out that that's just a coincidence, but it's wow. funny that they do say Bert and Ernie right. a couple of times in that order, and you're like, huh, it definitely it sticks does jump out. out. So everything's basically fucked, and of course, the lesson here is that and by the your, way, li- your life like touches way more people in way more substantial ways than you think, did and you, so 
get the feeling that um there was some kind of homophobic tendencies coming from the bartender towards Clarence and George when they're in there together. I uh, well, I'm like glad you interrupted my point to bring this. <laughs> I feel like there were some accusations being made. Um, yeah, <laughs> but not like really. I mean, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot you can take from it. I mean, just people didn't appreciate weird behavior. That's true. <laughs> from out of towners because they don't know these two guys. Right. After the confrontation with Mary, George punches a cop. Yeah. But then the cop just starts opening fire in a crowded downtown this area. This was very extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like a little bit of an overreaction. It's like, just like, I think we can bring this guy in. There's not very many places for him to hide. We'll just get the entire Bedford Falls force on the case, <laughs> and we'll find this guy. How many people do you think's on that force? Plus, uh, Bert and three other guys. <laughs> I don't know if there's three. George runs back to the bridge and begs to go back to his regular life. He needs to escape this nightmare. Right. This horrible vision of the world. Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back! I don't care what happens to me! Get me back to my wife and kids! Help me, Clarence, please! Please! I want to live again! I want to live again! I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George? Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zuzu's pedals! Zuzu... There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! The run back into Bedford Falls once George realizes that things have gone back to the way they were, because... Bert the cop shows up, oh, and yeah. all of a sudden now he knows who George is, and right. everything that had just happened. He's like, I saw your car uh, crashed into a tree back there, and uh, <laughs> do you know. eyes? It's like not in this town. Yeah. It's just like you know. I just wanted to see if you needed a ride home. Got a little bit in a, of an accident, no big deal. But yeah, that run back into Bedford Falls in the snow, yelling "Merry Christmas" is one of the most memorable and iconic film moments of all time. It's certainly the part that you see over and over in other Christmas movies it's or when this movie has been taken to be put into like commercials or whatever it's the part that I knew way before ever seeing this movie I mean I knew that segment that little scene I didn't really know what it meant in the context of the movie but I was familiar with him running through the town yelling Merry Christmas at everybody he gets home and now he's grateful for his life and he's assuming he will be arrested but he doesn't care because he's so happy to see his children. Yeah, I, I, see, I'm still like, this isn't great. I'd rather not be arrested. Well, he saw what life would be like if he didn't exist, and so his children wouldn't exist, and sure. Mary wouldn't be happy, and his brother would be dead. And but This is the trade. He's coming back, I, I and he's just it, like, well. But how good are things going to go from here? Now his kids are from a broken home. Well, he's a reasonable defense, and he's never done anything before, and this is like a small town. They might go easy. Yeah, I don't think yeah. 
I don't think he's going to be like facing life in prison for $8,000 <laughs> right. that just went missing. There's no actual proof that he stole it to use it. So I don't know. I mean, okay. probably not the end of the world. Mary gets back to the house from looking for him. Uncle Billy arrives next and reveals that he and Mary have rallied all of the townspeople to help. They pour into the house, donating more than enough money to cover the 8000 by the way, this speaking of Roadhouse, this kind of reminds me of the end of Roadhouse a little bit, where everyone's just like, "Yeah, yeah, this is fine. This this works." The cop just rips up the warrant. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what what the warrant is for. I, I yeah, I know. Just because there was money missing, I guess I don't know. What are they? Uh, is I, he is being accused like of stealing scandal? it? Yeah. The money is going to be covered, though, and the, obviously they don't really want to arrest him, so they're just like, "Fuck it." I, I guess What's they were Potter just like, gonna do? I, "I think like there were a lot of people suspicious for a long time, and as soon as the money went missing, everyone was like, "Yep, it's a Ponzi scheme." <laughs> Except because of the way he's lived his life, everyone in the town loves George and feels like they owe him something yeah. for helping them in various ways, including him using his own honeymoon money to pay out on that day back in like 1930 whatever and then th- him getting them out of the potter slums and into bailey park into nice houses and always being there for everyone and it's a very emotional ending yeah i'd say so it always wins me over yeah certainly little zuzu know. hanging off of his neck <laughs> <laughs> what a name zuzu's petals <laughs> what a name zuzu <laughs> yeah I-, I don't know it does certainly uh hit close to home for me because it's probably a good reminder that I shouldn't be so cynical but sometimes it's, it's hard to, to contextualize these movies that are just completely earnest in their positivity and overall happy message there's no cynical nature to them at all there's yeah. no gut punch I think of the message reality. is great but i do think that ultimately george and company like don't have to get on the internet and deal with people reacting to star wars <laughs> You know, All so of the just... horrible shit that we have to deal with now. <laughs> <laughs> People's opinions about everything. It's yeah, like, yeah, oh right. my god. <laughs> There's nothing worse than people's opinions. You oh, know what I, I know, mean? Yeah. <laughs> like everyone in Bedford Falls Facebook pages now. A, I'm thinking like a lot of Trump supporters. <laughs> oh you know. god. Super racist. <laughs> I mean, we didn't even talk about the few african-american faces that appear in this movie i do think that the well i mean different time i don't remember her name which i'm kind of embarrassed by but the the servant that works for the bailey family yeah the woman she does have like a hilarious line at the end of this movie where she throws all this money in and she's like i was saving this money in case i got married for the divorce or something like that (laughs) that's me yeah (laughs) it's just a really funny line out of nowhere The town sheriff rips up George's arrest warrant. Harry returns and toasts his brother as the richest man in town. And George finds Clarence's copy of Tom Sawyer, where there's a note from Clarence that says, Dear George, remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks for the wings. Love, Clarence. Yeah. A bell on the Christmas tree rings, and as Zuzu tells us, that that means an angel gets his wings. Atta boy, Clarence. Clarence. (laughs) <laughs> just real cheesy endings meanwhile i'm like sobbing every time i watch it <laughs> yeah. yeah i get it like zuzu <laughs> mary, 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 mary i got him here from the airport just as quick as 
I could. The fool flew all the way up here in a blizzard. Harry, how about your banquet in New York? Oh, I left right in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast. <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. <laughs> Christmas present from a very dear friend of mine. Look, Daddy, teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right. That's right. Had a boy, Clarence. I do like that. Even though he yells at his other kids, he's so gentle and protective of Zuzu that when he finds out that she got sick from like walking home from school he just fucking loses it on her teacher yeah. <laughs> like a complete insane person <laughs> Zuzu's my favorite you fucking bitch okay Merry Christmas everyone that's right what a fun holiday movie yeah absolutely maybe next year we should do like a full greatest december and wow all christmas movies it's something to think about now you could argue that we did a, a couple i mean go go silver linings playbook those seem like non-traditional ones this is a I traditional so. one yeah i don't know it's Maybe hard to not. imagine doing one that i like as much as it's a wonderful life when it comes to like the classic christmas movies yeah i mean i think people know our feelings on gremlins whenever i went on a tirade about it at one point yeah i like gremlins <laughs> I fucking hate Gremlins. Yeah. I do like Die Hard. I just never think of it as a Christmas movie. Sure. For me... I like Die Hard. There's a different... Like, it's funny because all of Die Hard takes place at Christmas time because it all takes place... In one day. In one day. Whereas the majority of It's a Wonderful Life does not take place at Christmas time, and yet I consider it a Christmas movie because That's of true. what it's about. That's a good point. It's just a different way to think about this. Sure. I don't want to go down that whole path. We probably no. won't do a Greatest December, but we'll probably do at least one or two Christmas movies. We have time to think about it anyway. Yeah. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So let's get to recommendations for this episode since we didn't do any in the silver linings playbook episode i'll go first this time since you usually go first oh okay my recommendation is a movie i watched probably a month or two ago it's been out for a little while on netflix one of my favorite movies of the year dolomite is my name directed by craig brewer starring eddie murphy as rudy ray moore okay he was like the inventor of the party record, the comedy party record, and then made the movie Dolomite, which is a classic black exploitation movie from the 70s. It's a little bit like Ed Wood or The Disaster Artist, except it's much more of a heartwarming, against the odds group of people coming together. It's much more positive and happy feeling than The Disaster Artist. It's not okay. It's more like a celebration of Dolomite rather than kind of making fun of it. And it's just a real feel-good movie. It's funny. The performances are good. Wesley Snipes is oh wow this crazy character. He was actually like the elevator operator in Rosemary's Baby, and that was like his one acting 
claim to fame, but then he went on to direct Dolomite because they <laughs> they wanted him to be in the movie, and then to negotiate it, they like let him direct the movie, but he's like this crazy character. Oh. Yeah, it's just like a really enjoyable movie, and it's been out for a while, and I think okay. Craig Brewer will be directing the Coming to America sequel with Eddie Murphy in it. Oh, wow. Craig Brewer had kind of an interesting start to his career that seemingly, I don't know, he's done like TV and stuff, but hasn't really done as much film-wise since the the Footloose remake. But he did Black Snake Moan and Hustle and Flow. And, oh, okay. Um, yeah, I like both those movies. I, th- I can't remember if he did any other full-length features, but then he did the Footloose remake and then not really much film work since then and now back with dolomite is my name and then the the coming to america sequel so yeah dolomite is my name is a fun feel-good movie check it out on netflix your turn i'll go Go. ahead uh movie we saw together in theater dark waters starring mark ruffalo directed by todd haynes who directed carol which we both enjoyed but yeah i really liked this movie It's, it's certainly not uplifting when you think about the result of what's going on and obviously there's probably some debate over what all is 100 percent true from the movie but uh, i mean i would say that it's it seems it's pretty safe much to assume that yeah. yeah these giant companies don't give a shit about humans it's, and will poison right anyone to make more money yeah it, it basically just reassures us on what we all already had suspected from yeah, you it's know. an against-the-odds whistleblower-type movie. The little guy fighting back against this giant company that basically just did whatever they wanted. Yeah. They made the laws, and then <laughs> it's like you can't get busted when you're the ones making the laws, which is how they basically had the situation I set did, up with right. this. Right, and there's nothing like spectacular about this movie. There's nothing like any like crazy twists or anything, but like it was just well done and you're like kind of engaged in it the whole yeah, time the which you wouldn't expect with right. this type of you just, story yeah you kind of it, it feels sort of procedural and by the book but like it, it just is good and like engaging the whole time yeah in addition to the strong performances from ruffalo and the rest of the cast there's interesting shots and there's interesting ways to like set up and frame things that show Todd Haynes's strength as a director like in situations where you wouldn't necessarily expect it or think about it just the way that it's done oh yeah yeah it's it's a really good movie yeah it'll definitely probably end up on my top 10 for the year I mean it certainly was one that like as the movie was over I was like yeah I really liked that and I don't know that I felt that way that many times throughout this year okay there you have it folks. yeah absolutely so it's- if you miss it in the theaters would recommend yeah, it, wherever it uh, comes next, it might still be in some theaters. It seemed like it was kind of ending its theatrical run by the time we saw it. But if it does get maybe one or two high-profile nominations, I don't know that it will. But maybe it'll pop up in some theaters when that happens. Yeah. If not, it'll probably be on streaming and Blu-ray within like a couple of months. So it'll be somewhere. Oh, I could keep thinking about from the the trailer for it though. The, the one dude, isn't that right? Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Yes. <laughs> the way that he says yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just like looking over his shoulder. Yeah. I don't know. I guess we take for granted like Ruffalo at this point. He's always like really believable in a lot of the roles that he takes on. I don't know why. I mean, yeah, he's obviously a good actor and everyone kind of accepts that as a fact, but it's more just like this believability that he yeah. is the person. Yeah. <laughs> 
there is a little optimism to it in the sense that this is based on some real dude who was a, a successful dude and you kind of really like went out there to like help all these people that were impacted by this yeah and, and it's how never much it given dis- up the fight yeah and like how much it may have like destroyed his own life to, and it's to do that I mean, based on the the words they were putting up at the end of the movie, it seems like it's still ongoing. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, yes, they finally tried to settle for some lump sum with everyone that was suing individually after they backed out of the original agreement. But it's, it said he was like still fighting to this day. So it That's seems right. like everything. It's like these companies, despite the fact that they were making like a billion dollars a year on this product that was poisoning people, were fighting tooth and nail over every penny of uh, trying to boy. pay it out. Yeah. It's just disgusting. It's nuts, I know. <laughs> it is just a reminder that we are living in hell already. Yeah, really kind of a reminder <laughs> that, it, in fact, it's not a wonderful life. Yeah, and everyone on planet Earth is like except, poisoned I think they by said this. 99% yeah. of humans have this thing in their system already, this chemical that they made for Teflon. Yes. I don't know. See the movie. <laughs> Wake up, people. <laughs> Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Yes. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to you again on New Year's Eve. Out of all the reindeers, you know you're the mastermind. Run, run, Rudolph. Randolph ain't too far behind. Run, run, Rudolph. Santa's got to make it to town. Santa make him hurry, tell him he can take the freeway down. Christmas, and all through the house, 
No food was astirring, not even a mouse. <laughs> Stockings were hung round Dad's neck like a tie, <laughs> along with a note that said, presents or die. <laughs> Children were plotting all night in their beds, while the wife's constant whining was splitting his head. <laughs> but Daddy had money this year in the bank. Then they closed up early. Now Dad's in the tank. <laughs> All of a sudden, Santa appeared, a sneer on his face, and booze in his beard. <laughs> Santa, I said as he laughed merrily, you do so much for others, do something for me. Bundy, he said, you only sell shoes. Your son is a sneak thief, your daughter's a fluze. <laughs> ho, ho, Santa said, should I mention your wife? Her hair's like an A-bomb, her nail's like a knife. <laughs> and he climbs up the chimney. That fat piece of dung. <laughs> he mooned me two times. He stuck out his tongue. And I heard him exclaim as he broke wind with glee. <laughs> You're married with children. You'll never be free. <laughs>